lot to live up to. I didn't know Bobby had spoken here. I forgot. He said, I went to a men's event. He didn't actually say he was speaking. (laughs) Bobby's story is very hard to follow up. Um, If you know my husband, you know he has no legs. (laughs) And it's a very interesting story about his accident and what he's been through. Bobby actually inspires me a lot. And I don't say it to his face (laughs) a lot. I shouldn't be. I should, but I don't. You know, when you don't say those things and you think, when you think about that person, you realise the impact they have on your life too. And his story does inspire me. And when I tell my journey, it's closely entwined, obviously, with his. But Bobby has been my greatest support on my mental health journey. And although he doesn't fully understand it because he hasn't been through it, he tries his best to support me and to talk and to get some understanding, which is all we can do, really, isn't it, with these subjects that we may not personally have been through ourselves. But before I get into that, I just want to say thank you to your pastors for having me. It is an honour to be here. I've never been to your church before. I've driven past it and I've thought it looks wonderful. And the inside, I said to Pastor Bron, I love the inside of your church. It's just beautiful to come into a church that's fresh and clean and with smiling faces. My kids are in your kids' church today too. And I said to my husband during worship time, I said, look at these kids. They're so well behaved. They all stood beautifully and worshipped. I know the parents are laughing. I know they're not always like that. But you know what? If you get them like that at church, it's, it's, it's amazing. At home, we deal with the, the other stuff, right? <laughs> Anyway, last month was Mental Health Month. So October's a big month um, in the community now. And I don't know about you, but on social media, it's a real push for Are You OK Day, um, you know, asking your friends, not just making it a meme or a, a post, but actually caring how people are going. So our church is committed to really speaking about this topic. Every year we have the focus in October on it. And it usually is part of a series. So last month we did Mind, Body, Spirit. And I spoke on the mind, obviously, and that's where I'm going with you today. And when Pastor Brum was sharing with me about this series, Trapped, it really did speak to me because even though I haven't communicated it like that in what I'm going to say to you, that is how I felt very trapped in my mind a lot of the time, which is not a very good space to be in. Any sort of entrapment is unsafe, it's dangerous, and it can make you feel almost like you're about to lose it. Am I right? Anyway, so let's move on with that with our mental illness and and talking about it today because I believe if you open something up, if you bring it into the light, the shame is gone. It can be exposed for what it actually is rather than what you're thinking it is or what you've perceived others to think about you because when you have mental health issues, a lot of it obviously is what you're thinking, not what anyone else actually thinks. So I want to talk about it because out there, outside of our church walls, the world is talking about it a lot. They're battling it. They're using every tool available to make sure we don't lose anyone else to suicide especially. So for me, working with young people, I see it a lot, that people that are at risk. And if we can get it then, then obviously we have young, healthy adults as well. Can I pray with you today before we get into this? Are you with me? Yes? Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to speak today. I know, Lord, this is not just a story, but it's a word from you. And it's a word, Lord, that's going to help people find freedom. So I'm asking, Lord, as I speak today, that you speak through me. Holy Spirit, use my words, Lord. And as they go in, if they cut, Lord, heal them on the way out. We're praying for healing and freedom in this service today. In your name, amen. Can I just say, you know, today I don't stand up here as an expert. You know, I was a patient. I was a really once a crazy, sad, angry person. But I've seen what the power of God can do. Not just the power of God, but the power of a church family that will support you. And I can't express that enough. If you're part of your church, make it your family. Make it your main support system. Because they will go through those hard times with you. 
today I'm going to just share my story briefly and then I want to outline just some keys and scriptures with you that I hope will help you along this journey. Now, some of you may say, look, I don't suffer with mental health issues. And you know what? (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) It is so much better if you're not crazy. (laughs) Let me tell you. And I say that, I can say that because I have been crazy. I can call myself crazy laughingly now and I'm a lot saner than I used to be. Um, You can ask Bob. (laughs) Hopefully, Hopefully he'll support that story. But even if you don't suffer or never have suffered with it, sadly, you will know someone who is or has because the world we're living in Most of us, if not all of us, have been touched in some way with mental illness. And it's not a good thing, but it is a real one. It's an issue. Can I just say that to those of you that may not believe that depression exists, and there's still those people out there. Now, those of the older generation, my nan is one of them. She seems to think that people can just snap out of it. Just get out of bed, you know. We, in our generation, we just got on with things. And I understand that point of view. And I've heard people say it's the young people now because young people don't appreciate what they have. They don't see the good stuff in their life. But can I just tell you, for those of you that don't see it that way, or maybe you have a stigma that's attached to it. So maybe you've been hurt by someone who's been mentally ill. Some of us have had parents that have treated us badly because of it. Can I ask today that you keep an open mind, firstly, to what I'm saying? And secondly, if you're saved, Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to break down walls that may be attached with what I'm talking about. To hear it for what it truly is. And it's not a sob story and it's not excusing anything that I've ever done. But it's just the truth of where my journey was and what God's been able to do in it. All right, so let's go on. (laughs) You don't have to clap me, but thank you. I feel like I've already preached now. (laughs) I'm done. No. Let's move on. So I want to show you something in a minute. But first, I want to give you a definition. Does anyone like definitions here? Does anyone Google definitions? Oh, there's like one person with a hand up. But you know what? I identify with that because I like to know what things mean. Not just, oh, what someone thinks they mean. But I want to know the correct definition. Drives Bobby insane. He doesn't care. Doesn't bother him. As long as he's got a general understanding, he moves on. But I don't. So here today, depression is this, Bob's. Defined as a mental condition characterised by severe feelings of hopelessness and inadequacy, typically accompanied by lack of energy and interest in life. So just that definition is depressing. It's funny that, but it just, when I read it, it makes me feel a little sad because I think, you know what, that's not, and this is, depression is not feeling a little bit down sometimes. It's not having a bad day. So can I ask you to raise your hand if you've never had a day where you felt down? where you felt a bit off in yourself, if you've never had that experience in your whole life. Is there anyone here? No. And usually when I say this, there is no one. One person put their hand up once and I was like, you're lying. (laughs) Because we are human and our human condition means we have emotions and feelings. Some days are good, some days are bad. And yes, we are in control of that most of the time. But this is not that. This is not just, okay, I'm having a bit of a bad day or I don't feel that great today. This is more. And it's not laziness or avoidance of work. I've heard people say, you know, if that person just got out of bed, got a job, they would be okay if they just did that. It's not that. And it's not self-pity or attention-seeking. So don't get me wrong, there's a lot of that out there. Social media, Facebook, there's a lot of people wanting attention. Am I right? You only have to scroll through your news feed to see someone wants you to ask them, why are you at the hospital? Or what's going on? Or oh, tell me, you know, why are you angry with that person? You know, that's the generation we live in. And as sad as it is, that's not what I'm talking about today. This is a medical condition which is ongoing for most people who suffer with it. So if you talk to people about their mental health generally, not always Christians, but most, especially my unsafe friends will say to me, 
I suffer with depression, anxiety. It's who I am. It's part of who I am. It always will be. I'm medicated. That's my life. And that's kind of the general you know, thinking that that's what it's going to be, which I refuse to accept, by the way. I'm not saying that is correct, but that's what a lot of people believe. And I just want to show you a picture now. This picture, if you could put it up for me, is of a depressed brain versus a non-depressed brain. So you can see it over here. Now, if you were a sceptic before, obviously science can show you the proof that depression exists in a brain. It changes the way the brain functions. So on the right, a brain that's not depressed, can you see those colours? The colours mean it's active, it's firing. So decision-making is possible. Passion for your job is possible. Exercise, hanging out with your friends, joy, peace, all those things are happening in that brain. But if you look on the left at the depressed brain, there's not as much yellow lit up, not as much colour happening, is there? It's obvious, but there's still life in that brain, regardless. So even when you're depressed, there's still some colour, there's still some life that is possible. So it's not a totally hopeless story. So I just wanted to show you that because I think it gives you a good idea of how the brain can function when it is depressed and it still functions, just not at its full capacity and not to what it should be. Now, I want to give you a list of symptoms that depressed people usually feel. And I will go through them with you and see what you think. Overwhelmed, guilty, irritable, frustrated, lacking in confidence, unhappy, indecisive, disappointed, miserable, sad. Now, why do I read this out? Because you probably know depressed people don't feel great. But what I want you to think of is all of those things I've read out, you felt at some point in your life. Am I right? We all have. All of those feelings come to us, like I said. But do you feel them on a daily basis? Are you living in those feelings? No. Unless you are depressed or suffering with mental illness, then you are. And it just feels like that's all there is to life. And it's very bleak. Someone with these symptoms, their behaviour changes. So if you've got a loved one, you'll know exactly what I mean. So before they might have been passionate about their job, they're not anymore. Or maybe they don't want to go out to events. Oh, stay home tonight, you go. You know, and it becomes a pattern of what they're doing. Also, they seem unable to concentrate on things. Now, for me as a teacher, I look at kids sometimes, especially um, if you're teaching teenagers, you'll notice this. Kids that have previously succeeded and they've done so well and they're passionate and they're social, suddenly they're not doing so well or they shut down and they don't want to be with their friends or their marks slip. And you go, what's going on in their life? And mental health is a big part of that usually we find out. So that's your medical side and we all can find that out, Googling, talking to doctors. We are fortunate, even though social media can be a pain and all of that, it can give us a lot of information also to be educated on these things. But I want to go through with you my personal journey now and it's one that I want you to understand that even if you can't understand depression or mental illness, you'll definitely identify with the fact what God can do, that healing is possible, freedom is possible, that even though I once felt trapped, I don't anymore. And I can truly say that. So let's go back to year five. For me, year five was a pivotal moment. So we all have defining moments in our childhood and it can be bad and it can be good. This is a good one. I decided I wanted to become a teacher. So I was nine nearly 10, and a little boy joined our school. He was in year one and he had Down syndrome. He was beautiful. And they wanted student teachers for this kid. And they said to our class, who would like to do it? And I was so keen. And they chose me. Luckily, I got chosen and I was so thrilled. 
And what I would have to do is sit with him and he would stroke my hair and he'd say he's going to marry me. He was a sweetheart. And I was focused on the letters. I was like, you're going to learn your alphabet. Let's stop talking about this. I was, you know, intent. Even as a nine-year-old, I thought, I'm going to teach this child to read letters. That's all my goal was. Anyway, I continued with that goal. As soon as I left school, I went to uni to become a teacher because it truly was something I felt was my calling and I was very passionate about it. Growing up, I was one of those kids that probably was quite anxious, highly strung, you like to call them. It wasn't a big issue, but I did worry about things, I guess. But it wasn't a huge issue until the first year of teaching. So I'd finished uni and I'd come out and gone into teaching at a school. And they decided to put me in a leadership position my first year. I was a graduate, 21-year-old teacher. I knew nothing and I was stressed and I wasn't capable, to be honest. And I said to them, I can't do this. And of course, you know what employers do? Yes, you can. Keep going. We'll give you extra help. Nope, that didn't happen. But anyway, (laughs) they encouraged me and said, you can do this. Now, just a bit of background. The school I went to work at was the church, was attached to the church I was a part of. It was a very small church school. Everyone that worked at the school had to attend that church. It was an alternative system, still had corporal punishment. Can you see where I'm going with this? It was a bit of a strange environment. But I truly believed that not only was teaching my calling, but I was called to teach at that school because I went to that church and God had told me to do that. Looking back, wasn't the wisest decision I've ever made, but I was a 21-year-old kid really that thought, you know what, that's what I'm meant to do. God's calling me here. So I started to become really unhappy, really unhappy at work and feeling really stressed. And this turned into sickness. And this will often happen, your physical health declines because your mental health is not great. So I'd get sick a lot, have days off, or I wouldn't be able to breathe at work. So I'd leave the classroom. I went to the doctor, oh, you've got asthma. Looking back, no, I was having panic attacks from being in a situation that I couldn't control and I felt like I couldn't breathe. So, but I kept going. And I, even though I continued in it, I found it highly stressful because, like I said, I was told to keep going, believed it was my calling, thought, I'll do this. The second year of teaching, I got engaged. And that was supposed to be a, the happiest moment of my life, and it wasn't. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Nothing to do. <laughs> nothing to do with him because he's wonderful, still married, that's all good. But I just, my job, my stress had overshadowed everything by now. It had become a real problem. Every night I was coming home and either either complaining, crying, whinge, you know, whatever it was, to Bobby and he still married me. (laughs) He got a prize right then, didn't he? He he knew what he was getting into though. (laughs) So anyway, Bobby didn't understand though and he'd say to me, quit your job. It's not worth it. It's just a job. But you see, to me, it wasn't just a job. It was what I was meant to be doing. And if I quit, it meant I'd failed. I'd attach that to it. I had to keep going. Anyway, what happened was Bobby and I decided to get married obviously and you've heard that he's a double amputee he plays wheelchair basketball he's very very good at it and back then he played professionally so he got offered a contract to move to Spain so live there be paid to play basketball professionally so he said to me do you want to go and I said yes and you know what even though I wasn't aware of it in my head subconsciously I thought this is my escape I can leave this situation that I can't cope with that I can't tell anyone about I can move to another country and start afresh and everything will be okay So I told my workplace, told my church, and you know what, people were happy for me because I had the life that people were wanting. You get to live in Europe, you've got all this money, you've got a husband that loves you, you've got this ideal world that you've created. But yet I wasn't feeling like that, I was feeling like I just need to escape, I really do. 
So we moved to Spain. And Spain, if you've been there, is an amazing country. The culture, the food, there's nothing wrong with Spain. But once again, I was still unhappy. Nothing changed for me. So I decided to, I don't know if you're, I don't think Bobby thinks like this. Most of you don't. I do. I like to rationalise things. There's got to be a reason. Why am I not happy? So I thought, okay, these are the reasons. Firstly, I moved away from a family that I'd never lived apart from. So I have three siblings, mum and dad still together. We lived together, obviously, till I got married. So moving in with my new husband and in a foreign country, I thought, you know, that's the reason I'm not happy yet. Number two, I thought, Bobby's away so much. So Bobby went away playing basketball and I would stay behind. So I'm alone. I'm isolated. You know, that's my second reason. I'm a people person. I've got no one to talk to. And number three, where we moved to the particular area, nobody spoke English and I didn't speak Spanish. So even if I wanted to make friends, I couldn't. There was no one literally to talk to. So I thought, okay, there's my third reason. So I really put it all down to that. And you're probably thinking, well, what did you do about it? To be honest, I slept. And I began to sleep more and more. Most of my day was spent sleeping. If Bobby wasn't around, especially if I was alone, I would sleep. Because sleeping was easier than thinking. Sleeping was easier than dealing with anything or being able to even put into words what was going on. And do you know what? Genuinely, I was tired, always tired. And for those of you that suffer with mental illness, you'll know that no matter how much sleep you get, it's never enough anyway. It can just continue on and on. So after a year of this, we came back, came back to Australia. And by this point, I had decided I would never teach again. Now, I hadn't told anybody that, but in my head, I thought I failed at that last time. So I'm not going to go back to that. Instead, I told people, oh, you know, I'm having a break, or I've just got back, or I had so many reasons and excuses, and no one really knew how I actually felt about that situation. And once again, I was still very tired and unhappy, so I began to sleep and retreat more. You know, if I had to go out, my makeup and smile would be on, and no one was the wiser. And, you know, just a side note about Are You Okay Day, it's a wonderful initiative, but truly, if you just say Are You Okay to someone, generally they'll go, yeah, I'm fine, and they'll smile and say everything's okay, and they will look okay and seem okay. You really have to develop a relationship with someone to get to where they're at sometimes. But for me, nothing had changed. So while I was sleeping more, Bobby and I... um, Sorry, Bobby started to get frustrated. (laughs) Now, he's a very patient man. He'd lived with this for over a year now, nearly two years. And suddenly he started to ask me, what's going on? You know, you've changed and you're not happy. But once again, I explained it away. We just got back. I'm not used to living here again. I'm, I'm getting on my feet. You know, I had all these different reasons and excuses. I insisted I was fine and I told him I would deal with it. I said, no, no, I will cope with this. I've got this. So he believed me, which he should have. But it wasn't necessarily true. Just lost my notes, hold on. So what I did was, after we lived, we decided to go back to Spain again. So Bobby got the second opportunity. And do you know what? In my head, I thought, okay, this is my second chance. The first time, I didn't do things the right way. This time, I'll change what I'm doing. I'll learn the language. I'll make friends. I'll go out. You know, I'll join a gym. I had all these good intentions. So we moved back to Spain. Once again, though, I wasn't happy. Surprise, surprise, things got even worse. I was able to sleep more if that was possible, permanently sleeping, getting up to eat or do something and going back to bed. And I always thought that, you know, that when I came home, I would change again. I always had these goals, but I was never going anywhere with them. 
And Bobby and I got to travel a lot while we went there. And I was very, very fortunate to travel the world. And one day, I remember we decided to go to Paris. And we stood at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower. And I looked up at it. And this is where I'd wanted to be. This is the place I wanted to go most in the world. And I actually felt numb. I looked at it. And I had no joy. I had no pleasure from seeing it. And I didn't climb to the top. Bobby asked me to. And I said, no, because I don't have the energy today. Now, I have a husband who's disabled, who was willing to do it, has the energy to do it, and there's me standing there going, no. And he didn't get it. He thought, why wouldn't you want to do this? And I couldn't explain it. I just didn't. Now, can I say that I've been able to go back there, and I have been to the top. And do you know what? Not only was the view worth it, but that feeling of thankfulness that God gave me a second opportunity, something very small, but something that I had a huge regret over. So that's always good, isn't it? When God gives you a second chance to try something or do something that maybe the first time didn't go so well. Because, you know, I had everything I'd ever dreamed of, but it wasn't enough. I had more than enough money to do whatever I wanted. I travelled around Europe. We lived in luxury. We were happy together. He didn't make me unhappy. He didn't treat me badly. But yet it wasn't enough. Something was wrong and I didn't know what it was. I honestly thought maybe this is just who I am now. Maybe this is just the way things are going to be. And I could get quite emotional about things a lot of the time. But the rest of the time, I was numb. I was really numb. And I felt like I was living under a cloud. And usually this message is called the cloud for a reason. Do you remember those old school cartoons where someone would walk along with a little rain cloud over their head? And everyone's like, ooh, and they came, you know, great. I felt that was me. I thought people can see this on me almost, that I'm that person that no one wants around because I'm so unhappy And obviously people didn't know that, but I genuinely thought that maybe people had started to see through this mask I'd put on for years. So we decided to come back again from Spain, come back to Australia, and this time we decided to have a baby. (laughs) Let's add a baby to that mix. I know, crazy. I was crazy. But do you know what? I thought, I don't like myself. I don't love myself. I had trouble even looking in the mirror some days. But I thought, I will love my baby because she, will, she or he will be mine and I will be able to be a good mum. I know what it takes to look after a child. I have training and I'm, I'm, I'm good at that, you know. And I truly believe that I could separate my mental health issues from my motherhood. So I thought they will never know what I'm struggling with. Hands up to those parents who know that you cannot hide anything really from your children. They hear and see everything even if you don't mean them to. The things that you don't say, the way you respond, you see in their faces, they do the same, their anger or their their sarcasm, whatever it is, they pick up on it very, very easily. And they understand emotions more than we take credit for. We think, oh no, they're very simple. They understand when their mum is deeply unhappy. They understand that. And I, but I did think, I'll do this. Anyway, my first child is a little girl and having Alba brought me joy. And I once journaled that she was the only joy I had. Now, when I journaled that, I then realised that there was something wrong. Because our children are not meant to be our only source of joy. They weren't created just to be our joy. Of course, they give us joy, but we should have other areas that come into our world that give us joy. And I had nothing else. It was only her. And I realised something was wrong. So I thought, I've got to do something about this. And I had to face facts. I thought that maybe I could possibly have depression. And you know what? I still couldn't say that word. Bobby had said it to me once and once only <laughs> and I shut him down. No, I did because I had this, this point of view and I don't know where it came from. Maybe my upbringing, my church life, but that mental illness was a weakness, that weak people suffered like that. 
I came from a very strong family. And my family are, are the type of people that get on with things. They're workers. They're good, quick thinkers. And I thought, I'm the weak one already. I'm an, an emotional type of person. And then if I had mental illness on top of that, what are people going to think of me? I also had the other point of view is that, oh, well, mental health issues just can be cast out. You know, it's a demon and you will get it cast out of you on the altar. And I had a really scared feeling that someone was going to do that to me <laughs> if I admitted to this. So I had these two things going on that, oh, I can't, I can't say that. I can't be that. But when I looked at my life, I realised I couldn't help myself anymore. I'd promised Bobby that I would handle it and it wasn't true. But finally, I was able to face that. I'd actually gotten to this point now that I didn't want to live. Although I love my little girl especially, I felt that I don't want to be here. There's nothing for me on this earth because I can't be happy. And I thought about suicide, I'll be honest. I thought about different ways that I could do it. Silly, silly thoughts, you know, that you go, oh, well, I could do it this way and it won't hurt too many people. People will be okay if no one finds me. You know, crazy things that you know are not sane, but you start to think that, but I realised, no, I can't do that. Because I always had these thoughts. I'd always have something saying, what about Alba? She needs you. What about Bobby? He'll be upset. Or there were different thoughts. Now looking back, that was the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit used those moments. Now he didn't stop me from doing anything, but he definitely planted good thoughts that made me think, oh, no, I won't do that. So what did I do instead? To be honest, I turned to self-harm. And self-harm is something we don't talk about a lot, but it really does need to be spoken about. Because I don't know if you realise this, but self-harm is quite common, especially with teenage girls now. Girls are turning to this as something when they can't control things in their world, situations with their friends at school, bullying online, that type of thing, usually or can turn to self-harm. And if you've been down to the shopping centre anywhere public, you'll see a lot of girls with cuts. And it's horrible. It's awful. But that was something that I felt that could give me control and that could also make me feel something when I felt numb. I needed that pain, if you like. Now, I was turning to this in response to uncontrollable situations, maybe an argument with Bobby, maybe a work situation or something with the kids. So it wasn't big things. It was things that I just genuinely didn't know how to handle. But that was a huge wake-up call for me at the same time. Because, you know, I was rational enough to realise that it wasn't something that you do to yourself when you're in, a, in an argument. You don't usually turn to hurt yourself. Because, you know, we look at nature and generally as people, if someone hurts us, what's our first response? Hurt them back because we want to protect ourselves. We don't turn on ourselves. We don't turn and hurt ourselves. That's just not natural to do that. So I knew that. I knew what I was doing was wrong and it was against nature. And why would you, why would you cut yourself? I didn't understand it. But yet it was something I did. But after six years of all of that, and I'd gotten to the point now that I'd admitted I had a problem, I finally went to the doctors and I was de diagnosed with depression and anxiety. But just a side note, depression and anxiety are the most commonly diagnosed mental illnesses, but there are so many more, you know, and even though they can have common traits, this one I'm speaking about because it's my personal experience. You know, I felt quite numb when I was diagnosed. But, you know, any of you that have done a mental health assessment, it's on a piece of paper and it's like a sliding scale and it will ask you how you feel. And it can be quite confronting if you're honest. Because if you've been in depression, especially for six years like I had been, most of the time I'm sitting at a one, if not off the chart, if I could be, if that makes sense. So for me it was confronting, but then there was this little glimmer of hope that said maybe now things could change. Because now I told somebody... Because for six years, nobody knew, apart from Bobby, knew I was struggling. I didn't speak to anyone else about it. It was a secret for me. 
And I'd gotten used to it. It'd become part of my personality. I worked around it, if you like, like we do with a lot of things that we carry. It becomes part of who you are. And I'd accepted that, you know, I'm going to always feel depressed. That's just who I am. But having a child changed that for me. I didn't want her life to be like mine. And I began to think, how do I teach her that she's beautiful when I can't look in the mirror? You know, how do I do that? Because she's going to know that about me. Or how do I tell her how much she's loved and and treasured and how much God sees her when I don't value any of that myself? So I realised I didn't want that. And I also didn't want her to have an unstable mother. I didn't want that experience for her world. So I decided to start therapy and medication straight away. Now, for me, that was the easy part. Because you know what? I could talk to a stranger. That's okay. And I could take medication that no one knew about. That's also okay. For some of you, you'll say, oh, that was confronting for me. I have friends that have a real thing about taking antidepressants. For me, that wasn't an issue. For me, telling my family, my extended family and my church pastors, I really was worried about. Because I thought at the time, Bobs and I were leading the youth ministry and I thought, there's no way they're going to keep me in this role. They'll put me to one side because I'm crazy. You know, there's no way I can lead teenagers like this. So I expected that response and I expected people to go, well, what's wrong with you? Why are you saying this? And have some sort of judgment attached. Can I say I didn't get any of that? I actually got unconditional love and support. I got people that said, what can we do to help you, Kama? Instead of what's wrong with you? You know, you can't do this job then. We'll move you on until you feel better. They really gave me the support I was looking for. But in saying that, there have been people people along the way that haven't understood at all. And that's okay too. So if you're one of those people going, you know, no one gets it, you have to fight the battle anyway. You can't expect everyone in your world, everyone on this journey to understand that you're mentally ill and what goes with that. But can I encourage you to keep talking to people because there will be people that will support you and there will be those that don't, unfortunately. For me, once I admitted I had depression, things got a lot easier. They didn't go away, but it was, it was out now. It was like my secret was out. That burden had been lifted in some ways. And I started to see things differently. I made a commitment to do that. And I realised, okay, I can do this, but not alone. I knew that that journey was not going to work. And I started to believe that one day God could heal me. Look, it wasn't a lot of faith. I can tell you that it was very small. But like we know, mustard seed faith is good enough. Sometimes that's where you're at and that's where I was at. And I started to have faith. Instead of thinking, it's always going to be like this. I will always be this way. One year we went to an international conference. C3 have a lot of these. And they had a female speaker. I love female speakers. I think we need more of them in the church. That's just a little thing from me. (laughs) Just in case you don't. (laughs) I'm sure you do in your church as a modern church. But this woman was talking about faith and supernatural healings. And she was saying how it's possible to be instantly healed. And, and I agreed with everything she was saying. But suddenly I realised we always focus on physical healing, physical health issues. We talk about that, relationship issues, financial issues. But what about our mental health? Because you see, mental health is just as important as physical health. Because it will kill you if you don't do something about it. It is just as important. So I thought to myself, okay, so I need to start going up for prayer. So that's what I did. Most Sundays I was on the altar getting prayer. If I wasn't on the altar, I'd be in the road praying for myself. And I was desperate. I have to be honest. I was desperate to get rid of this affliction, if you like, because I didn't want it anymore. That feeling of being trapped. I was still trapped, but now I was trying to get a way out of being trapped. You know when you're feeling like, okay, I can fight this a little bit now before I couldn't. 
one night I was, I know exactly where I was sitting in our church and I was, actually I was standing and I was praying for myself and instantly I just felt lighter. Now I knew in that moment I'd received a breakthrough. Now it wasn't a complete healing. I didn't walk away knowing that my depression and anxiety were completely gone but I knew it was a start. It was a start of, I don't know what, but I definitely felt lighter. And you know, Pastor Claude, our pastor, you've had him speak here a few times, am I right? Yeah, he's very faith-filled and he likes to say that the miracle's in the process. And our church has used it as a hashtag, they've used it in search, we've used it a lot. But it's actually valid because my miracle has definitely been in the process. I can't tell you that I went up on a Sunday, Pastor Claude laid hands on me and suddenly everything was okay. It hasn't been for me. But I've definitely had miracles along the way and my process has been something that I'm very aware of now. It will always be a process for me. So when I first was depressed and anxious and coming out of it, I was acutely aware of my mental illness and my mental health. It was something I focused on. Now I don't all the time, but still there's things I put into place to make sure I'm staying mentally healthy. If I need prayer, if I need to pray for myself, if I need to see a doctor, that's okay. Now that's a brief overview, a really brief overview of my journey. And I want to take you through some keys now, just practical keys, if you're suffering or if you know someone that is. And I hope that this will help you. If you wake up every day feeling hopeless, it's not normal. It really isn't. And I say it kind of, ha-ha, it's not normal. But you can begin to think that it is. But that's not your normal. I accepted that feeling for way too long. I try not to have regrets now. But one of my biggest regrets and something I do think about is how long I left this before I went and did anything about it. You know, for six years I just suffered silently along with it. Number two though is there's no shame in admitting that you have a problem or that you're sick. Mental illness is sickness of the mind and it's just as important or vital as your physical health. So if we could change that shift or shift that thought that mental illness is something that we can just pray away and it will be okay but rather something that is a process and something that we need support with. Number three, once you've admitted it to yourself, go and talk to someone else about it. You have a wonderful church here and I'm sure you have supportive leaders that are willing to take you on that journey to say, hey, I'll support you, I'll pray with you, let's join our faith on this journey. And number four, never give up. doesn't matter how bad it gets, even if you're suicidal, Even if you're cutting yourself, it is not over. Like that brain, that brain still had activity. There's still life. And when there's life, there's hope, always. You know what? For you, if it means that you need to be on this altar every week, do that. At our church, we say it's a judgment-free zone because we want to encourage people that no matter how many times they need prayer, it's okay. When I pray for people, I don't go, I'm sure you were here last week, you know. Do you you really need me? I'm going to, no, I don't do that. Maybe sometimes I've thought it. (laughs) No, no, no. But I've been that person. (laughs) Now you don't believe me, do you? (laughs) But anyway, what I'm trying to say is I've been that person that's needed that every week. And never once did someone turn me away or say, you know what, you don't need to be here, Cameron. But also, if it means medication, do that. Take away that stigma of antidepressants and what they are and realise if you had cancer, let's say, or and it was terminal, what would you do? You'd go straight to the doctor and say, do whatever it takes to save my life. Give me the good drugs. Am I right? Because that's what I would do. But with our mental health, it's just as important because you can get on that road to taking your own life, which ends in the same way, doesn't it? Cancer or suicide, it can do that. So please take that 
opportunity. If you need to be on medication, take your stigma away and go, you know what, if it helps, let's do that. Also, therapy visits. If they help, do it. Talk to someone. Talk to a professional. It's your life. You've got to remember that and it's precious. You only get one. And if you can do things that can sustain it and also make it better, why not? Now your spiritual keys. You know, when I was the most depressed, when I was severely depressed, the thing I wanted most was peace. I had no peace. My mind, because of my anxiety, it was constantly full and racing. So even though I slept 22 hours a day, (laughs) but probably close to it, um, even though I slept that much, it was never a restful sleep. It was never a deep sleep because my mind was just full of so many thoughts and not good ones. So I had two main scriptures that I decided to rely on. These are the ones I chose, and we'll put them up in a second. The first one is Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, that one is a classic for mental health. You know those classic scriptures that you go, that fits that. But can I say to you that I realise looking at that scripture, that second half, whose mind is stayed on you. So I thought, hang on, I'm asking God for peace. But yet the second part of that scripture says to access peace first, I have to have my mind focused on him. And I had no focus, I'll be honest. I had no ability to concentrate on anything. So I started small few seconds of redirecting my mind, a bad thought, he is good, he gives me perfect peace. Whatever it was, I'd redirect my mind. And I started to practice peace, as you've heard beautiful Lee talk about as well. Practicing peace is really important. I also had to learn the second part, trusting in him again. So those two things have to come before you can access perfect peace. Secondly, my scripture was, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, I wanted, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about power and love at that time, but that sound mind part was really important to me because I actually felt crazy, like I've said. I felt like I was losing control. So for me, I just kept saying, no, I do have a sound mind. He's given me a sound mind. I've been there before. You know, I kept quoting this over myself, if you like. But at first when I recited those scriptures, I had no understanding of what it was like to live in peace without fear. And can I encourage you that with scripture, if you don't, maybe you don't identify with it yet, that's okay. You can still say it, you can speak it out of your mouth, it has power until you do believe it, until you can experience it for yourself. So for me, I had no idea what perfect peace could be like, but I wanted it and that was what was important. I had this fear that because my mind was in such chaos, if I dropped any of the balls that I was juggling, everything would come crashing down around me. So those two scriptures were things I really had to focus on. But there were also two things that I understood. Now, yours may be different to mine. I was brought up in faith and I had a very strong family that we believed very from a young age. Now, I had two things I believed, that God was real. You see, I'd been through things when Bob's had his accident and my best friend was in the car. He died at the time. And I remember feeling God's presence during that time as a teenager. So I couldn't deny that God was real. I knew that he was. I didn't always feel him close to me, but I knew he existed. So I held on to that. And number two for me was his word was true. Even as a small child, we did memory verses and we, we recited scripture and always believed it. I always had this understanding that The scripture was God breathed. I never thought maybe a man wrote this. I didn't think like that. I actually thought this is God's word. So those two things I held on to, hang on, when I would be in turmoil, God is real. No, hang on, his word is true. Whatever it was, I'd say it to myself just to get back into a good frame of mind when things weren't good. So can I encourage you to do the same? If you feel out of control, 
If you're fearful, if you're suffering with anxiety or depression or OCD or bipolar, all those things that are meant to send chaos into our world, hold on to him. Realise whatever it is. If he's real to you, say that. If you've got scriptures, say them. But make sure it's positive, faith-filled and powerful. Your miracle, like I said, could be in the process. And that means that you can believe, pray, be healed on medication and come out the other side. You can have all of those things and still have healing. We don't have to have a culture where we say, come to the altar, be instantly healed, and then that's done. Sometimes it doesn't happen that way. I wish it did. But that's not life, and that's not how God always works. That beautiful worship song says that he's in the waiting. And the waiting is part of your process, unfortunately. No one likes to wait, but God's there regardless. Can you always... Be mindful, though, that the battle in the mind is also a spiritual one. I haven't over-spiritualized how I spoke about this today. And the reason why is because I feel like in church in the past, it has been stigmatized for that reason. Like I said, it's been seen as a spirit to be cast out, as a negative, as a weakness, something you've caused for yourself. I don't want it viewed that way. But I do want you to understand that the devil will use it. Like he uses your physical health to attack you. Like he uses your finances or lack of finances to attack you. Like he uses your bad marriage or your bad children. He will use this too. And what I've got here is, you know, he will use it to destroy you if he can. But even if he can't destroy you physically, he will try to control the choices you make, the way you view people, the way you view yourself. And if he can do that, your whole life will change, let me tell you, and not for the good. Cutting suicidal thoughts, erratic and hysterical behaviour do not come from God. That seems like a very obvious statement. But I used to think about this scripture, every good and perfect gift comes from him. And I used to think about that because I realised when I'm doing things like cutting or when I'm hysterical, it's not good. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good. No one else is experiencing it in a good way. So it doesn't come from him. And it's not meant to be a judgment when I say it because I've been there and I know what it feels like. And we have to remind ourselves constantly that the devil is a defeated foe. I love the word foe because he is. He may be your enemy, he may be your foe, but he's a defeated one. And we have to get that mindset that it's not, oh, maybe one day I'll defeat him or maybe one day he will be defeated. No, that's already happened at the cross. So my mind doesn't have to be in this turmoil because he has been defeated. Christ has done that for me. You know, I've got here, God is the protector of your mind. And if you've read Joyce Meyer's book, The Battlefield of the Mind, (laughs) am I saying it wrong? It is that. She touches on this. And I believe the word when it says that he's like a fortress. You know, and a lot of the time I'll visualise this. If you're not into this, it's okay. It sounds a bit nuts, but I like it. I imagine my mind like a fortress. And I imagine God being the protector of that, that he will shut my mind down to the attacks of the enemy when I need him to. For me, that helps. So many times when I was depressed, I'd be in the, sh- in the shower, curled up on the floor. You know in the movies when people are in the fetal position? And you kind of, that actually happens. And <laughs> I was hysterical. Nothing Bobby could say or do would, would come through. It was like I couldn't hear him. And all I could say was, God, please help me. God, please help me. Over and over again. But do you know what? God doesn't need an eloquent or fancy prayer from you in that moment. He just needs to hear your voice. And that's all he heard from me for a long time. God, please help me. God, please help me. But that was my connection to him, if you like. I kept that connection open, even when I thought, I'm going to hurt myself. 
You know, it was so important for me to do that. So remember that, even if you don't have any scriptures memorized right now, even if you think, I don't speak like that, or I can't speak in that way, it doesn't matter. He just needs to hear your voice. You're a parent, or if you are a parent, you understand you want to hear your child's voice speaking to you. You don't necessarily care if they can't always communicate well. It can sound funny sometimes. You think, what are you trying to say to me? But you listen and you love them unconditionally for where they're at in their journey. Also, remember that God Jesus took every sin on the cross, every sin. So if you've made mistakes during your journey of mental health, which I have, and I'll be honest, if you've hurt people, if you've hurt yourself, if you're carrying shame associated with it, remember that he took anything to the cross, even self-inflicted sin. So today, I really want to talk to those of you that are listening to me, and maybe you don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about. Can I have the team join me, the worship team, and we'll start worshipping together soon. But you know, even if you don't know him, you will understand that I do. You'll say, okay, I can understand that you have this relationship with him. And you know what, for me, my relationship with Christ is very real. So as real as Bob's and Bron and Aaron are sitting there, that's as real as Christ is to me. And you might not have that experience, but I want to offer you that opportunity today. Because do you know what? There is nothing like a relationship with him. Nothing can compare to it. All the money, the travel, the great husband, whatever it is, nothing compares to knowing him and loving him. And I want you to know today that he loves you. He loves you for where you're at and where you're going to be. He sees your future and your future always has hope in it. So can I encourage you, as you close your eyes with me today, I just want to speak to you. Can you start thinking about where you're at? Where am I at, God, in my relationship with you? Where do you want me to be, Lord? Do I need to recommit today to you? Or are you starting this journey? Do you not know him at all? And would you like to? You know, when he went to the cross, he saw you. He saw your sickness. He saw your health also. He saw your future. But he also saw a relationship that was possible, made through his blood. So as you've got your eyes closed, if you want to know him and you want to pray with us today and start this journey, would you mind raising your hand? We're not going to embarrass you. We're just going to pray with you. Are there any, is there anyone here that doesn't know Christ and would like to? I can see you. It's great, bud. Thank you. Do you know what? The mental health journey is a hard one, but it's made much easier having him on your side, him walking with you daily. If you're suffering at the moment and you don't know that he loves you, you don't know that he'll carry your burdens, can I encourage you to trust him? Commit your life to him. See the changes he can make. Is there anyone else today that wants to do this journey with us? I will wait for you. And he does wait for you always. He sees you and he loves you. Is there anyone else that'd like to take that opportunity? No, we're good. Can I just send out a second call for those of you here that are suffering in this area of mental health, that you don't know what it is maybe, but you know it's not right and you don't feel like yourself or how you should feel. Maybe you have been diagnosed with something and it's a real struggle for you. Can I ask today, we're going to stand and worship and as we worship together, will you come and let me pray with you? I can't promise you an instant healing, but I can promise you that he hears you And He will work through you, that your miracle can be in the process, that I will join my faith with you if you're suffering today. 
And my third call will be for those of you that live with someone or know someone that's suffering. Because I'll be honest, the person that lives with someone with a mental illness is suffering too. They are going through this journey. They don't know what to do. And I'm sure some of you are going, I love this person so much, but it is hard. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do anymore. Let us pray with you. Let us support you on this journey with your partner or your children, whoever it is in your world. Please know that God walks with you, not just people that are suffering, but the people that are loving those that are suffering too. So in a minute, we'll, we will stand and worship and I'd love to pray with you. Please don't hesitate to come forward. Don't second guess it. Just come and get prayer. Are you ready to stand and worship with me? Let's do that. Thank you, team.